but we're talking about really, I think, one of the biggest protest movements in terms of actual people in the streets and, you know, in the last few decades uh, in France. Is it a revolt? No sign. It's a revolution. While this famous exchange is attributed to Louis XVI and the Duke of La Rochefoucauld-Liancourt, odds are that French President Emmanuel Macron has had similar conversations with his aides in the past few weeks. In an attempt to balance the books of France's pensions regime, Macron's party, Renaissance, filed a bill to increase the legal retirement age from 62 to 64. Without a formal majority in Parliament, he needed the support of the centre-right, but given the overwhelming opposition to the bill across the electorate, Macron decided to use a constitutional trump card to force through the bill without a vote. This triggered a no-confidence vote, which was only nine votes short of toppling Macron's Prime Minister, Elisabeth Borne, and her government. In the meantime, millions have taken to the streets or went on strike to oppose the bill. While these have largely been peaceful, some have turned violent, with brutal street fights breaking out between police officers and Antifa groups. This week, we try to take stock of this chaos with Nicolas Vinocure from Politico and Cole Strangler, a Paris-based freelancer. Bear in mind that we will not be releasing an episode next week and expect us to be back the week after that. Enjoy your Easter break. Oh, and as always, Please rate and review on Common Decency on Apple Podcasts and send us your comments or questions either on Twitter at OnDecencyPod or by email at OnDecencyPod at gmail.com. And please consider supporting the show through Patreon at patreon.com forward slash OnDecencyPod. Enjoy the episode. So... Before we get too deep in the weeds of this uh, very, very chaotic situation in France, um, perhaps let's start with the casus belli that started the whole thing, which is the, the pension reform. Um, starting with Nicholas, could you kind of walk briefly through the details of France's pension system and how Macron was hoping to change it? What was the strategy or the philosophy of that pension reform? Yeah, um, I'm not a pensions expert, and it's a, a complicated subject, but my broad understanding is that uh, the French pension system is a sort of, you pay into it, and you're paying for someone who's currently in their pension, so it's not a system where you accumulate your own capital that is going to be paid back to you when you retire. Um, it's a system where you're paying for people, uh, part of your salary towards people who are already um, retired. And <clears throat> the, the problem that has been going on for years now, maybe decades, is um, the system is less and less uh, stable financially um, and is heading towards greater and greater deficits. Uh, so you have, uh, um, you know, 2020, a deficit of a few billion euros. But as uh, the French population ages and there are a greater number of pensioners versus active workers, uh, that uh -huh. deficit is projected to increase quite markedly. And this is the problem that, you know, successive French presidents have, uh, have faced. Um, 
you know, how do you sort of tweak the system so that uh, it, it's on a more sustainable path. And cool. Any thoughts on that? Maybe on the, the philosophy that underpins the the reform that Macron had to fix the problem. Yeah, I mean, I think I think what's happening here is that you know Macron has proposed a very particular reform, and I think um, the sort of financial challenges that that uh, Nick has just outlined, um, you know, certain certainly exist. Um, it depends on, on how you look at it. There's actually quite a lot of debate about just how significant the, the deficit is. But if, let's say, for just for the for the sake of the discussion, if your goal is to reduce that that deficit, that uh, you know it should be said is not. We're not talking about a system that's on the brink of collapse, but there is a deficit, uh, you know, that that's expected in in coming decades. If your goal and it's uh, supposed to, to stabilize as well, but there is a deficit. I think if your goal is to address that deficit, you know, there's a number of ways that you could potentially do that. Um, maybe we could get into that. The, the thing about Emmanuel Macron's reform is that he's proposing a very particular, specific tool to address this deficit, um, which is hiking the retirement eligibility age, that earliest age at which you can collect full benefits from 62 to 64, presenting it as sort of the only singular option, the only way to address the pension system uh, and the sustainability of the pension system in the long run. And I think that's, you know, sort of the underlying issue provoking provoking a lot of the anger here, which obviously goes beyond pensions. But I think there's one other point I want to I want to make here is that, you know, we often talk about the way it often can get, gets talked about in the press. One could perhaps have the impression that everybody, you know, in France is just retiring at, uh, at age 62. Um, which is not necessarily the case that, you know, the, the average uh, age for, for departing for, for retirement is, is a little bit higher than that, even already right now, around 63. I was just looking at the, at the most recent numbers. Um, yeah. You've had a number of reforms in the past, actually, that are pushing people to work to work later. So without going into, into too many details, I want to just make that point as well. Um, but yeah, obviously, this is, you know, we've we've seen this sort of this pension issue erupt into a deeper political crisis. Yeah, and I think you're right to point out that not the entire French population stops working when they reach 62. I think that's a good point. We need to remind people the legal retirement age doesn't mean you have to retire or at 62. Just uh, important to, to, to state that because sometimes, you know, especially in the United States, there's a few, um, there's sometimes an understanding of French that can um, verge into the farcical sometimes. So it's good to, to remind that. Well, and, and jumping on to uh, sort of the the timeline of events, uh, you know, it, it seems like if you've if you've been follow, following uh, some of the English uh, speaking uh, media that have that have been covering the, the the latest round of protests, it seems like they have overshadowed the parliamentary uproar that preceded uh, many of these protests. Can you, uh, I mean, can you walk us through what happened in Parliament and how close? was uh, Macron of losing it all, both the bill and his government over this, uh, starting with uh, Nicolas? Sure. Um, so obviously the bill is unpopular um, and we've had protests in the streets for a number of weeks uh, and the government was looking for a way to uh, pass the reform, um, ideally via vote in parliament uh, and should have been able to do that uh, with its own lawmakers plus some allies from the, the center-right Republican Party, um, who are the kind of de facto uh, coalition partner, if you will, 
uh, <clears throat> that supports the government. Um, and there was an extremely contentious debate in Parliament where uh, various mostly left groups so were looking to add amendments, kind of derail the bill, um, and they moved to accelerate the debate. Um, and we're hoping to have a majority to pass it. Uh, and you had a bit of drama where unexpectedly a group of center-right uh, lawmakers peeled off and actually defied the orders of their party leader to support the bill um, and not only didn't support it, but said that they were going to uh, back a vote of no confidence in Macron's government. Um, and that triggered the infamous 49-3 decree, uh, which, was, which effectively bypasses uh, debate in parliament and allows the government to just force its bill through. Um, and after that happened, you saw another spasm of protest and, and uh, uproar in, in the streets. <clears throat> yes. And uh, Cole, you've been covering the French left uh, for a long time now. And what, is, how, what have you been seeing in uh, both the uh, unsubmissive France uh, parliamentary group and the socialists? How have they approached uh, the bill? Yeah, I mean, um, you know, the, the I think the you know, their, their goal at the, um, you know, from the beginning, I think, was to, uh, you know, sort of gum up the process a little bit, as you might say, uh, in English. So, you know, and I think, I think to, you know, to some extent that that applies to, to mm. you know, much of the left wing coalition, the NUPES. So going from, from La France Insoumise to the, the Socialists, the Greens uh, and the Communists. I think there were some slight disagreements, um, you know, towards the end. And you know, about the actuals, about the, the best strategy to, to adopt um, when it looked like the government was, was nearing a vote on this that they ultimately did not have, um, you know, about whether or not it was worth, yeah, wh wh whether it was worth pushing for, for a vote on particular um, measures of the bill in the first reading. Um, there was some disagreement there between La France Insoumise, um, Mélenchon's party, and um, and uh, and the rest really, um, you know. But I think that was, you know, a sort of, you know, there was a, a, a minor, you know, there was a, there was a tactical disagreement there um, that I think is interesting. It got, it, I think, it got quite a lot of attention because at this particular moment, we're now we're now in. If we take a step back, I think around um, trying to try to reconstruct the timeline here around early March, I think I want to say late February, early March still. So still before there was that, that, that vote in parliament, um, before the use of article 49.3, um, you had this tactical disagreement that I think got quite a lot of attention because at this point with the protests going against this unpopular bill, I think the, the Macronist strategy was to bring a lot of attention to this tactical disagreement, um, in a, in a, you know, sort of, in a bid to, I think, draw attention, you know, to, as, as, at, you know, from their point of view, which I think makes, makes a lot of sense, draw attention to these, you know, disagreements to try to detract from the, the mass opposition to, to the reform. And so it got, it got, you know, a fair amount of attention. Um, so there was this tactical disagreement about, about how to quote unquote gum up the parliamentary process. But I think at this stage right now, um, you know, the, the, the parties are fairly, fairly united um, at, at this point on, and it, in, in some ways it's easy to be united because their position right now is is opposing the reform and supporting these these protests that, that have continued. And so how unpopular is the bill at the moment? 
and how widespread are the protests? Because France has seen major protests with the tradition of striking and so on. But is, in other words, is this unusual or is this quite remarkable in its scale? Cool. Yeah, I mean, I think if you look at the, the numbers, um, I don't have all the numbers in front of me right now, but just the, the numbers themselves are, are quite impressive, even by, by French standards. If you look at some of these, you know, and there, there are peaks and, and low points, but overall the movement is very, is very strong. You know, we've had multiple days of, um, you know, million plus people in the streets, even according to the interior minister figures, which, which tend to, to be on the lower side. And then, um, you know, the union numbers are obviously higher. But even if you take those lower numbers from the government, from the interior ministry, uh, we're talking about a pretty significant movement, much bigger than that previous pension reform uh, protest in 2019, early 2020. Um, you know, bigger than, obviously much bigger than, than the yellow vest in terms of the actual numbers, bigger than, um, you know, the 2003 movement um, against pension reform. And you can kind of go down the, the list, but we're yeah. talking about really, I think, one of the biggest protest movements in terms of actual people in the streets and, you know, in the last few decades uh, in France. The, the, the participation in strikes, which is not, not the same thing, they often get conflated, but they're not necessarily the, yeah. the, the same thing. The, the, you know, the, the, uh, participation in strikes has been a little bit lower. You have you have a handful of of sectors that that tend to be affected, um, sometimes getting outsized uh, attention, and that's precisely the aim. Um, you know, a handful of of key sectors, um, you know, in the public sector in particular, I'm, the rail system. I'm in Paris at the, the moment, so quite quite famously, yeah. the garbage collectors went yeah. on strike and made for um, yes. some pretty ugly pictures. Yes, yeah, and I, you know, I think from a union perspective, I mean, that that's a, that's a great. It's a great tactic, right, for them to to get to get attention to, to the strike, and um, you know, so you have these these handful of of sectors, um, you know, dock workers where where I'm based in in Marseille, you have this whole industrial zone where a lot of the dock workers, petrochemical uh, facilities workers were on strike, but overall, that you know, the strikes haven't been, you know, I want to say massive, but you have pockets of militancy that can kind of um, punch above their weight when it comes to disrupting the economy. That coupled with this very large you know, uh, protest movement, uh, people coming out to mobilizations has had quite, quite an impact. And the movement remains broadly popular. I think I just saw, you know, maybe there are slight discrepancies on which, which poll you want to pick. But, you know, I saw one recently that said, um, I think earlier this week, seven out of 10 people support the the ongoing protest, despite the article, excuse me, despite the, the bill already having been approved, um, which I think is pretty, pretty striking. I think it speaks to the, the opposition to the reform. Mm-hmm. Yes, and, and and this sort of uh, launches us into into the next uh, question, which is, uh, you know, this, this movement seems to have metastasized beyond the issue of just pensions. There seems to be a larger political uproar against the government. So is is this a crisis of political regime? Is this a societal crisis? Uh, I mean, we we did see some of this uh, metastasis with the gilets jaunes, but just how far? Is the um, are the 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 protests really uh, questioning the legitimacy of the government? I guess, uh, Nicola. Yeah. Um, well, I think uh, one way of measuring that is looking at uh, Macron's approval rating, which has dropped significantly since the beginning of the protest movement. Um, as have uh, the the approval ratings of his allies and lieutenants. Um, people talk about Edouard Philippe, uh, his former prime minister, as a potential successor to Macron in 2027. Uh, he's also, also suffered a hit in the polls uh, because of his support 
of the pension movement. Um, and of course, when you get to the point of a vote of no confidence, um, well, that's an attempt to unseat the government and reshuffle the cards um, and, uh, you know, essentially have a new a new parliament um, that would that would change things. Um, I'd like to take a step back from the question of, you know, how important is this reform and is it a sort of institutional or is there a challenge uh, of the government? Um, you know, I was around for when uh, the there was a vote of no confidence in the alone government, socialist government, um, that mm. wanted to reform labor rules and we essentially went down the same road as we have uh, as we have this time, um, where you had a protest movement followed by uh, a sort of minority ruling party that was, you know, rebels and people, and they eventually um, didn't quite get to a vote of no confidence, but did attack the government. Um, and this is essentially the way things work in France, um, <clears throat> where, you know, we've had a succession. I think Cole enumerated a number of big protest movements, but uh, they're, you know, they happen on a, on a frequent basis. And I actually check this out. They happen on a more frequent basis than anywhere else in the world. Um, it's, of course, there's the revolutionary tradition, but France is an outlier uh, in terms of the number of protests that take place, the number of mass protests, in terms of the intensity of the protests, and in terms of the violence that takes place on the margins of these protests. And so I think when we're talking about, you know, why does this happen? Why is this particular protest uh, movement um, so broad and so general, you kind of have to look at, well, what is wrong with the system that, uh, you know, discontent with a reform or a law or a government policy needs to turn into a mass protest when this is not taking place in other countries, in other democracies with similar populations. I think there's a fundamental problem with the presidential system and the way it channels uh, outrage against one person, the president, and there's no other way to express that outrage than to say, well, I'm against the government and I'm against the mm. president and everyone, everyone there. Uh, Cole, Cole, any thoughts on this? Are we seeing a crisis of uh, regime crisis? Um, no, I mean, I, I think, I think, uh, uh, Nicolas made, made some interesting points there. Um, yeah, I mean, I, I, unfortunately wasn't, I, I don't have that, that personal experience of, of reporting and covering the, that 2016 movement, I think you're referring to, but, but the, the labor law reform. Um, so I understand, I understand that the parallels there, I mean, I, I do think it's, it is worth stressing this one is particularly significant in terms of, you know, we've had now over, over two months coming up on the 11th day of mobilization, um, the numbers themselves are, are quite high. So I think we're talking about a particularly strong movement, but, but otherwise I think, yeah, I think, I think Nicolas' point is, is, is taken. You do have sort of this tradition of, of mass protests in France. And I think it is interesting to ask, well, well, why, why is France, you know, somewhat of an outlier uh, in that respect when you're looking at other, um, you know, European countries, Western European countries. Um, you know, I think I think one one reason is that you know France has um, 
Well, I think there's, we could probably spend, you know, a long time talking, <laughs> talking about this, but I think, I think, I think to some extent, yeah, I, I agree with, with, with Nicola that we're talking about a, um, you know, a, a system of government that concentrates a lot of power at the, at the very top, you know, the president, um, is a sort of almost semi monarchical monarch figure, um, you know, and that that's certainly the case for Macron. I would submit that I think one way to avoid <laughs> the protest movement would be to look at public polling. Um, seven out of ten people opposed to the reform. You know, with, that's actually gone up since the movement began. But even at the beginning, when they put, when they put forward this proposal in January, um, the government chose to ignore the the polling. They chose to ignore proposals being made by everyone from militant left wing unions to very moderate labor unions, including the CFDT, which was very, very interested in making a, an agreement with the government and finding common ground. So I think, you know, if you want to look at, well, why, why is there so much, why do we have street opposition? Why is there this, all this anger? I think, I think part of the problem is, is this particular uh, government's unwillingness to compromise and negotiate with, um, um, you know, with people that it considers, with organizations and people that it considers, you know, hostile or antagonistic to, to its own its own aims. So I think, you know, you have this hyper centralized system and a government that's unwilling to compromise with, with with other forces. It's funny because I remember, you know, during the Yellow Vest, we talked so much about there was a lot of discussion. I shouldn't say we. There was a lot of discussion at the time about how the Yellow Vest in France seemed to suggest the sort of, um, you know, were symptomatic of the decline of, of what are often called in France the. Uh, intermediate bodies, which is a really ugly term in, in English, but these sort of these sort of civil society groups, you know, unions, NGOs, associations, the LFS were sort of symptomatic of this this crisis in, in all these institutions. Um, you know, here we had we had moderate labor unions that were trying to negotiate, um, partake in you know, uh, yeah, negotiation, compromise, and the government has said essentially um, that they're uninterested in in, in, in hearing them out, and so. If, we're, if we have a crisis, you know, I think we have, you know, I think the, the, the government at the, at, at the top should be, should be, you know, reflecting on, you know, I think they, I think they have a, a large share of responsibility for this. Um, you know, and there's a whole other discussion to be had, I think, about why, how France's labor unions and the left, you know, continue to remain relevant, which I think is, I think, another sort of outlier from other, you know, big European countries. But um, I don't want to talk too much here, so maybe I'll just leave it at that. <laughs> I can... Uh add to that um yes. i think uh, cole you know that's it's an interesting point about the cftt um you know people are familiar with the sort of uh very far left very hardline cgt movement which was historically linked to the communist party but the cftt is uh a sort of social democratic uh institution um who's uh, supposed to be a kind of consensus builder and a compromise builder. Um, and if you've met uh, Laurent Berger, the, uh, the head of it, um, he's not a flamethrower. He's a, he's a, uh, everybody's reasonable, but he, he's, he's, um, he's kind of a middle grounder. So uh, the fact that he has ended up uh, opposing the government very staunchly um, does kind of hint at, you know, there's some problem in the approach here in how this reform was set up, and that you've lost uh, lost these parties. And um, you know, some something that I, I often hear, and, and people who kind of 
arrive in France and you discover the place, they say, oh, isn't it surprising fact that, you know, unions have such low membership, but in fact are so powerful. Um, I think that's pretty easily explained. I think, you know, the, the system in France works by branch representation. So you don't have to be a dues paying member of the union in order to be represented by the union. So the membership numbers uh, are important, but they're not essential. Um, and it looks like, yeah, they have proved important. However, I would say there is a problem uh, in terms of the intermediary bodies you mentioned, Cole, um, which is kind of faith in the political system and faith in the mm. political parties, um, which has been collapsing in France. Um, and there is a kind of alarming phenomenon of essentially mistrust in institutions, mistrust in politicians, mistrust in uh, political parties that has been increasing. And I would correlate it to an increase in political violence and the uh, intensity and the um, threat of, of political violence. And there's been some extremely alarming examples of uh, attempted and, and sort of realized political violence during these these uh, protests. And it kind of speaks to uh, elements of the protests that are not um, controlled, not in the under the sort of aegis of either a trade union or a party or something, something uncontrolled uh, going going on here. And I, I do find that concerning. Yeah, actually, um, because this has been a strong dimension of the past few weeks is the violence, I think, in, the, in those protests. There's been viral videos of police officers using violent means against, you know, sometimes very peaceful protesters. There's been cases of far-left Antifa groups who are gearing up to fight um, and, you know, throw Molotov cocktails and, and, and rocks at, at police trucks. Um, you know, some protests not related directly to the pensions reform, but around saint soline a few days ago, of an environmental cause um, end up looking like a small war zone. And I don't think I'm exaggerating too much by saying that if you look at some of the, some of the videos. Um, and I think it's not just politics as well, because we saw similar scenes of violence with the Gilets Jaunes, but also with you know the PSG celebrating its title a few years ago, or the Champions League final in the Stade de France last summer between Liverpool and Real Madrid, where there's been egregious cases of, of, of violence against especially Liverpool supporters. Um, is there kind of, you know, we talked about the crisis of institution and that resentment, but is there kind of maybe more of a societal crisis, kind of a, a rise of violence with, across French society that seems to be popping up at the moment, uh, starting with Cole? I mean, I think in, in those cases that, that you mentioned, there's a, there's a common element there, which is, uh, <laughs> which is the, the police and security forces um, inability to to deal with with uh with crowds and mismanagement and in some cases yeah use use of excessive force we saw that at the champions league final we saw it certainly on display at that pro protest you referenced um i'm forgetting when exactly it was all, all the, the the weeks have gone gone by so quickly here but yeah. in, in 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 southwest france that big protest movement over these these uh reservoirs for the agricultural industry so we saw, you know, th those scenes that that was a you know huge, huge police presence, which was left. Um, I think as you know, when we're speaking, we have one person who's in severe, who's in critical condition. Um, 
and it, you know, we've seen also a lot of um, a lot of excessive violence at at these at these protests as well on the, on the part of the police. And I want to make I think this is an important point to stress here because I think sometimes when we when you hear this issue about about police violence, it's sort of I think for a lot of people, um, you know, certainly particularly on on the right in France, and I think supporters of Macron, you know, when they hear the word police police violence, it's often associated with this is sort of like a seen as maybe a pet cause for the left, even the radical left, um, you know, sort of a, 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 an issue that gets exaggerated or um, used to advance political aims from from the left. That's the way it's often mm. interpreted by, I think, a lot of people on the on the right in France and, and even, you know, in, in, in the center and, and Macronist. I think I think that's a, a, a um, I think they're failing to appreciate the the problem that we have on, on our hands here. And I think what, what's interesting is you've seen, you know, more and more organizations, international organizations as well, speak out about the alarming use of violence uh, on the part of police uh, uh, in France. We saw it on the Yellow Vest. We're seeing it again now. Just, you know, a few examples. You have Amnesty International, uh, you know, decrying the use of both. There's two things, really, excessive force and the use of preventative detentions uh, as well. So, um, essentially, uh, uh, arresting, detaining people um, without charging them. Uh, uh, sorry, when they show up at, at, at protests, and then essentially releasing them later. That's not something we typically see in, in you know functioning healthy <laughs> democratic societies. Um, so, Amnesty, Human Rights Watch, you know, even the Council of Europe Commissioner for Human Rights had had a statement. The United States, um, excuse me, the the I, I saw a recent interview with uh, you know, an official from, from the UN who said that the UN should be speaking about the use of force from, from security forces soon as well. So this is a problem, I think. And it's not enough to say you know, France has you know, radical left protesters that seek confrontation with, with the state, because they do seek confrontation. But there's a responsibility on, on the behalf of, I know, on the part of the state to, to, to respond and to, and, to, and to handle that you know, appropriately. And I don't think that's that, that, that that's what's happening right now in France. You have again a, a number of a very um, you know respected voices that are speaking out on the topic. It's not just you know the the, the far left. Yeah, I, can I? Mm-hmm. Yeah, and yeah, um, no, go ahead. It's such an important point. Um, I think there's a difficulty to even talk about the violence in France. Um, you know what we have here is a kind of strange situation where uh, it's people sitting in other countries. I'm in sitting in Belgium or Coles uh, in the U.S. or looking at France and saying, whoa, there's a great deal of violence. Um, and that's a topic of conversation for us, but it's less of a topic of conversation in France. Uh, it, it's, it's almost sort of a blind spot uh, at the center of you know media coverage of course, the injuries and the destruction is noted um, dutifully, but a real conversation about why there's this violence is very difficult to have. And I get the sense that part of the issue is that it's so political um, and you immediately fall into two camps, the police violence camp and the far left protester camp. Um, and there's a lot of evidence in the column that uh, Cole was just outlining of the tactics of the French police. Um, they do use crowd control tactics, which have been abandoned in or, or uh, yeah, abandoned in other countries, other European, uh, like kettling and charging and 
um, various kind of confrontational. There's a big controversy about a sort of roving police uh, unit that goes into demos and arrests, essentially arrest people who are seen as, as uh, provocateurs. Um, but of course, then they are also accused of violence. So there is, um, it is definitely a real subject and <clears throat> there has been a lot of international condemnation of uh, French police and heavy handed tactics. Um, but I think unfortunately, that's not the end of the conversation. I think um, the re violence of the repression is probably an expression of uh, uh, the, the, the way the state is structured in a way. Um, and it also has to do with, you know, if you just look at the number of protests and the size of protests are more frequent and, and violence happens usually on the margins of protests and there are black block protesters in Spain and in Germany, you have a much smaller number of protests. And so proportionally in France, more protests, more uncontrolled, sometimes illegal gatherings, a higher, a, a bigger, a bigger amount of violence that happens. Um, and, but it is remarkable that, you know, even despite this, I've seen people in France start to talk about the violence in terms that I'd never heard it before in my lifetime. Always been there, always been shocked by how bad things can get, how dangerous, how life-threatening they seem to get. And it was never a thing. But you have people now are starting to say, we may have a problem. We have a serious problem with violence and with the culture of violence around on both sides uh, uh, in, in, in and around protests. Um, you had someone, I mean, you can put her where you want on the uh, political spectrum, but Caroline Forest, uh, was on. She's a uh, she's a commentator um, and uh, uh, an intellectual, um, and she spoke out about this and said how shocked she was by the level of violence uh, around the protests. You had Guy Verhofstadt, a uh, centrist uh, lawmaker in European Parliament, just got up in European Parliament and expressed his astonishment at the degree of violence in France. Um, so. The conversation we're having is, I think, very timely. Um, and uh, yeah, there's there's a lot more to it. I think police violence is a big, big part of it, for sure. But it's not the whole answer. <clears throat> and uh, besides the issue of, of police violence, there's a lot, there's a, there's a different sort of parallel you can draw with the Gilets Jaunes, which is about the sort of the breadth of the, the appeal of this movement. I mean, we saw in the Gilets Jaunes movement that it uh, that as soon as you sort of got rid of any uh, partisan identification, the people that were gathering in the in the rond-point with their their flashy uh, vests uh, were from all political walks of, of of politics. Some were far left, some were far right. Um, do you envision uh, the, a similar kind of sort of broad church appeal uh, of this movement going forward? And more uh, to the point of the comparison with with the Gilets Jaunes. Uh, Macron managed to bounce back shortly after the, the Gilets Jaunes with his Grand Débat, his very successful one-man show where he met with local stakeholders from across the country and his popularity recovered massively and he ended up winning the re-election. What are Macron's ways out of this now, uh, starting with uh, Cole? Yeah, I mean, it's a, it's a good question. I, I want to say just one, one thing quickly. I am speaking from the U.S., but it's just a quick quick visit to, to visit uh, family that had been planned for, for, for quite some time. So I am, I am usually usually in France, not just, don't want to give the impression I'm just commentating from 
from the U.S. Side. Um, but yeah, no, I mean, I think it's, it's I think it's a, it's a good question. Um, you know, the 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 movement today, I think, is is broader in appeal than than the Yellow Bus. Um, the Yellow Bus had a real working class base. This this movement does as well, but it also has more support from from middle class people. If you look at uh, the polls, um, you know, and I think, you know, the, for the, as to the question of, of you know, how is how is Macron going to going to respond to this? I don't know. I, I don't want to I don't want to speculate too much. I will say I think, you know, I don't I don't want to I don't think we should overstate the importance of his his recovery um, after the the yellow vest movement. He did manage to win re-election. Maybe his poll numbers went up, um, you know, a bit. But we're not talking about a president that that, um, you know, is extremely popular, really. Um you know, in the in in the months or years that followed the the Yellow Vest movement, although he did win re-election, um, but you know, w- winning re-election, I think, in, in 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 you know, aided to a large extent by his opponent, um, meaning you know, a, a lot of again polls show this as they did in 2017. But in the second round of the 2022 election, um, a big chunk of Macron's voters in the second round were were voting for him out of a desire to defeat his his opponent, primarily uh, Marine Le Pen. Um, which I think, you know, is, is a way of sort of getting at a bigger question. Um, you know, Macron, um, you know, has always had a significant base in France. I don't want to, I don't want to deny that, um, you know, but he struggled to have, you know, support, I think, throughout his, his presidency from beyond, you know, uh, a particular, you know, base of, of middle class to, you know, increasingly now uh, wealthier older, older voters. And I think, you know, to, to sort of tie the, 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 this, this question to the, what we were just discussing about, about, you know, police violence, I think, you know, one question you can ask is, well, wh- why do we have, you know, this, this, this violence, this level of, of, of violence in France? And I think it's because a lot of people, um, you know, are looking at the political process and, and um, you know, they don't have faith in, in, in institutions, you know, as, as, as uh, Nicolas was saying, they don't have faith in, in other political parties, these intermediary bodies. And so, you know, I think violence is a, is a sort of symptom of that. We have a, a political system in France that, you know, is increasingly under scrutiny because I think that this presidential system is, is struggling to, um, yeah, represent, um, you know, what, what, what people's, people's preferences and, and, and policy preferences and, and, and desires where I think we're at a, you know, a, you know, a system that, that is, you know, is, you know, the French might say sort of at the, you know, breathless or running out of running out of breath. Um, And I think what's interesting about this moment that we're going through is I I think, I think, you know, it's sparking more conversation about the need to really reform these institutions. And I don't know where the conversation is going to go. But, you know, does that mean, um, and I mean, the national conversation is, does that mean um, reigning in the power of the presidency? Does it mean, you know, more momentum for this you know, sixth republic that's been floated before. Um, that would be just a more parliamentary system. Does it mean staying in the fifth republic but having a prime minister that's you know maybe more more you know sorry a parliament that that's more powerful? I think it's interesting again to go back to uh, Laurent Berger, the head of the CFDT union. Um, you know, he said you know well, let's let's talk to the let's talk to the prime minister. Um, and I think the prime minister, you know, if if they want, you know, they have the ability to you know to make concessions and and. And make a you know make a deal and maybe deviate from you know from Macron I, is that going to happen probably not but um, you know I think this moment is perhaps letting people imagine well what, what would it look like if the French 
political system functioned a little bit differently. If we had a stronger parliament, uh, maybe we need a new system. Maybe we need elections structured differently so that we have sort of quote unquote midterm elections in which voters can can weigh in on on the actions of the president, which is what you know France used to have until until uh, a reform in 2000 taking effect in 2002. Um, so I think there's a lot of this this moment is sparking a conversation about how to change these institutions. Thank you, Jorge. Thanks, Cole, and thanks, Nick, for joining us. And see you all next week. So the conversation we've just had with Cole Stangler and uh, Nicolas Vinocure has just ended. Uh, Francois, what did you think about some of the points that were made? Yeah, it's a super co- interesting conversation. I just happened to be in France um, for work over the next few days. So it's been kind of a good opportunity for me to sense the reality on the ground. Um, I arrived 24 hours after uh, trash was collected in Paris for the first time in, in two weeks, I think. So you can feel a lot of, lot of kind of tension and, and, and stress still in the atmosphere, hopefully not too much smell. Um, but something which I think is quite central in our conversation is the level of violence, I feel, uh, around this, this reform. Um, you know, given the current system, you can essentially do three things. You can, uh, you can inc- uh, reduce the level of pensions, which is politically impossible because pensioners are 42% of the electorate for presidential election. So that's simply not possible. You can increase essentially taxes on um, uh, working age population, but to be honest, they've been taxed a lot. Um, so that's, I, I don't think that's a very sound thing to do. And the last thing you can do, which is kind of least painful, is increase the retirement age, but that's quite symbolic. And we've seen that erupted. But France, France's reti- legal retirement age is much lower than the European average. And, you know, and it, I find it quite astonishing, the level of violence and reaction to this. Now, there's objective reasons. Some people feel they're not being listened to. Some people have, you know, um, have dangerous accidents at work or the rest of it. But the reaction just seems completely disproportionate. And I think Cole and, um, and Nicholas were right to point out that there's been a kind of a question around the way uh, the police is acting. But I also think, you know, the... Um, I mean, again, some of the pictures I saw from from like Antifa groups, they were they were equipped for war. I mean, you know, they were organised as battalions. They had Molotov cocktails. Now, I understand some people will say, well, they're only reacting to what the police is doing, but you know, you had people coming from Germany, from Antifa, and more all across Europe who came for this. And so, I'm just very generally worried about the state of violence in France. And we pointed out it wasn't just you know um, the past few weeks; it's been you know the, the Champions League final as well. And some of it, I think, comes down to last year, the presidential election, and I wrote it at the time, so I'm quite comfortable with that, presidential election didn't really happen. It was a bit of a phantom election. Given how central the the presidency is in the French system, arguably it's potentially the only election that matters, um, we didn't have much of a debate. There was, you know, partly because of covid partly because of Ukraine, partly for different reasons. We didn't have much of a debate. And I think one of the symbols of that is two hours after the the results were announced, TFR, the big, the big news channel, decided to put on a beloved uh, movie instead of kind of following the, the, the results of the elections. That would have been unbelievable a few years ago. And that shows a lot about the kind of the disinterest of the campaign, the lack of campaign. There were very few rallies, again, partly because of covid Macron decided to kind of avoid those conversations as much because he wanted to win on his stature. He didn't want to be kind of challenged too much 
but that means he doesn't have much of a, a kind of a mandate to push through his reforms. And the only thing that people kind of identified with this campaign was the increase of the uh, legal retirement age. But he didn't. He didn't. He didn't put up much legwork to actually sell it. Um, and so, so the fact you know, the French presidential election needs to be a moment of democratic farces because it is because once the democratic so once the presidential election has sailed, oppositions have very few ways of shaping public policy, and given the kind of hollowing out of intermediary institutions like like unions, for example. There's a real need for this election to be a moment of democratic catharsis. It wasn't. And I fear that we are paying it right now. There's other things, of course. But I think one of the reasons why there's so much violence at the moment is because the presidential election was a failed election. Yes. And um, and I guess the, the case that um, um, both the... Well, the case that the far left is making here is that, hey, listen, uh, a lot of our voters went for Macron in the runoff just to get rid of Le Pen, make sure that she never got into power. But now Macron is governing in a very sort of neoliberal, uh, you know, cutting taxes, well, at least cutting, raising the retirement age kind of way. And they, they, they feel like they've gotten the short end of some of them even may even regret having voted for Macron in the, in the runoff. But as we were just discussing in the in the green room, Francois, my my uh but the lens through which I tend to look at all these issues is is Zemmour himself. I he's he's one of my uh main sort of sources. Uh and um and I was very I was very gladly surprised to see he he supports uh not this reform in particular, but just the idea of raising the retirement age. So that sort of confirms that he's a very econ- that economically he's a very liberal he was a very liberal candidate and um and i think um and i think that you know he, he one of in 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 his campaign one of one of the main talking points on the economy which wasn't the main focus of his campaign his campaign was almost ex- exclusively about migration but when he spoke about economics he used to say you know you french people are the most taxed people Overregulated, overtaxed in the world, uh, so there is there is no other way out of out of uh, our, our current conundrum than cutting spending, cutting pensions, raising the age of uh, the legal age at which people retire, and um, and yet I think I I almost feel you know I almost feel pity for Macron. He is he is taking all of this heat for pushing through something that neither that that actually uh the socialists uh under Hollande were too mildly committed to doing and who and and Sarkozy didn't really uh make much progress so this is as you, as you've yourself said this is this is a, a, a an urgency to, to be fair France. to be fair to Sarkozy he was present during the 2008 financial crisis and he did increase the legal retirement age from 60 to 62 so, you know, there's a lot of criticisms, criticism that can be uh, thrown at Sarkozy's way. But I think, you know, on, on pensions, he's, he's been he's been relatively um, uh, serious on this. But um, on, on, on the on the dilemma that Macron faces, you know, I said there's essentially three, three, three things you can play on. You can play on the retirement age, which is what he's trying to do. You can pay, play on pensions, which is electorally very tough. 
or you can play on taxation on the working class, which is also tough. And to be honest, the French are, are very, very taxed already. Uh, but I think there's been kind of a, a, um, a crisis of imagination as well, because he, I think that's one of the reasons why he struggled is he's kind of been struck in this kind of three, three criteria here and not thinking about outside the box a little bit. Um, the left is calling for taxation of you know, the, the richest to pay for pension system. Um, that's one option, probably not one Macron could, could adopt, but that's I think what um, Spain is doing at the moment. But if, if you want you know, a kind of a right-wing solution to its problems, there are some right-wing solutions to kind of think more generally about the, the pensions issue. And again, we're not talking about kind of an immediate issue with pensions. There is a deficit. That's not great. But it's still manageable at the moment. The concern is in 10, 15 years. But if the concern is kind of medium term, surely there's other things we should start thinking about now. Um, one would be to create a, a French pension fund. If we'd done that 60 years ago, we would be sitting on quite quite a, a sizable war chest at the moment. Um, you know, I'm not saying we should get rid of the French pension system and, and make it just one big pension fund because obviously that's quite risky. But surely that's something we should be ready to explore. Um, and you know, there's another option which is also start thinking about um, you know the fact there's there's fewer and fewer um, uh, young people in, in France. There should be kind of a natalist policy which would allow um, a larger cohort of working age people in in 20 years. Um, at the moment, I think we went from 2.1 to 1.8 or maybe 1.7 in a matter of 10 years. That's not good. Um, that's not a good situation. And the solution is too often immigration, but then you get this kind of immigration Ponzi scheme because within a generation, immigrants have basically the same uh, demographic patterns as, as the local. Um, so, I mean, crisis of imagination, there should, there's many opportunities for him to kind of open up the debate and not being stuck in this kind of very narrow conversation. And then again, I come back to it. In the campaign, there is one measure that Macron did kind of uh, make clear, but he didn't do much work in, you know, much legwork to defend it. Increasing pendant the, the legal retirement age in France was always going to be uh, a very, very tough situation. Even if Macron had a majority, he would have still faced very similar strikes and so on. Um, I don't think he's done the legwork. And again, I think he's paying now this kind of lack of effort at the time. There's a book that's going to come out by a journalist from, from L'Opinion um, called, the, called the, the Off Days, I think would be the translation in English. And it talks about this kind of days after the presidential election as well, where Macron kind of disappeared and didn't do much to, to, you know, to shape the legislative elections, for example, when then he lost the majority in parliament. Um, so I think there's been a kind of a lack of campaigning in the lack of ideas and the lack of he wasn't talking to, to, the, to the French population. He wasn't making kind of an ambitious case for what a second Macron term would be. And the best example for this is actually pensions, because in 2017, he had defended a pensions reform, which was very different. Um, the idea was to, you know, the pension system is quite complicated. There's 52, no, sorry, 42 different uh, models of, 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 of pensions. And he wanted to simplify it and essentially make sure that, you know, there's a lot more visibility. People would be able to change careers without too much stress over this. In fact, there's a lot of visibility about how much you would, you would make by, by the time you retire. This was the first idea. Um, and it, it, was a, it was a different Macron at the time. You know, it was a Macron that was kind of, you know, maybe kind of, you know, a, a Nordic a social democrat. He was all about making sure that public services were, were simple and, and easy to use. You know, it was, it was a liberalism about kind of making things easier for individuals to flourish. 
I think nowadays there's been an evolution this kind of economic liberalism which has gone back to kind of more you know more austerity kind of um vibes about it at least and um and you know it, it shows a bit of a lack of, of, of imagination mm. and creativity about the way yeah. he's portraying himself yeah. and with that uh, it's been a terrific episode again thank you everyone for for tuning in and uh, see you with the next episode. Yeah. And as always, if you like the episode and want to listen to the full episode, including our very interesting conversation on what the options are for Macron to get out of this, um, who is benefiting politically from, from the current uh, chaos? Is it the far left or is it Marine Le Pen or, is it, or, or does Macron have a way out um, in the future? So if you want to listen to this conversation, you can join us on our Patreon for as little as five euros a month. If you can't do that, there's plenty of other things you can do to make sure the podcast continues to grow, such as liking the show. You can review it on many platforms, including Spotify, including Apple Podcasts. Uh, you can write a review on Apple Podcasts as well. So all those small things really help the show continue to grow. And by the way, we also just went through the 2,000 follower mark on Twitter. So thank you so much to all of you who follow us on Twitter. Um, if you don't, you can follow us on Twitter at UndecencyPod. Thank you, Jorge. Thanks, Cole, and thanks, Nick, for joining us. And see you all next week.